today's scripture comes to us from Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 to 46. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, given that this is our second anniversary service, I figured that um, I give you guys an opportunity uh, to hear God's word being preached uh, through another pastor other than my own. Typically, when churches have celebrations like this, uh, we want to give the church an opportunity to give thanks to hear from another pastor who can encourage this congregation. Because, you know, if I came up here and preached and say how wonderful and how awesome our church is, it could be so self-serving, right? So what better to have another pastor who could tell us how awesome we are, right? <laughs> and I could find no other better person to do that today than the pastor who's coming uh, to preach to you today. Because I'll tell you right now, just personally, if I wasn't a pastor serving as a church, I would want this man to be my pastor. Because he is such a gifted preacher. He is a great counselor. He's very good at counseling. And he's just a good guy overall. He is someone who has stood with me when I said I do to my wife. And I had the honor and privilege of standing by him when he said I do to his wife. And he's a friend who has been with me thick and thin. And I hope I've been that same way to him as well. And so this is Pastor James Park coming to preach for us. Let's give him a warm welcome as he delivers the word today. Good morning, everyone. Uh, it's definitely a pleasure to be here. Uh, I feel like I have to say that you guys are awesome, because I think... <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, um, it's such a pleasure to be here. Uh, it's the second anniversary. I think the last time I had the pleasure of preaching at NCF, uh, it was 2017. It was the summer. I actually remember it really well. You probably don't, but I do, because... I couldn't bring my wife with me at the time. She was pregnant and with her first, and she was not doing well. She had, you know, she was kind of sick, and I remember I was really sad she couldn't come with us. But she's here today. She's right, she's right there, and our daughter's next to her, being held by a friend. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, and uh, she's pregnant now. With us. I feel every time I come here, my wife's pregnant. So <laughs> uh, praise the Lord. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm just uh, so. Um, Blessed to have uh, Pastor John as one of my my dear friends. Uh, we met in seminary. He was uh, less sanctified back then. Um, so was I. But no, but he was a great brother uh, brother to have. Uh, we were roommates, and uh, that's when I knew the joy of having someone snore and grind their teeth at the same time. Uh, but it was also when I got to know just how awesome, wonderful, loving a man of God he was, and uh, it's just a pleasure to see him. Obviously. Um, uh, just to be a, just a faithful pastor, obviously a father of five wonderful children, which I think is also amazing, and obviously Sarah's amazing as well. So they've been really great friends to me and my wife and our family, and uh, yeah, so it's just a joy to be here. Uh, two years is, it doesn't feel that long, but then my daughter's only two years old, and it feels like she's been here for a while, and so <laughs> it's a joy as well, but I think God has been really faithful here to this church, and so yeah, praise the Lord, and uh, thank you for having me here again. Uh, yeah, today the passage that I'm, you know, just uh, preaching from is Matthew 13. It's a fairly well-known passage, and I think I just just read it, and it's um, it's a passage that I hope is an encouragement to all of us as we remember how amazing our Lord truly is. Um, 
So let me, let me, let me say a prayer for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love and your grace. We thank you for your, your mercy. And we thank you that we are here today to be able to, to worship you. That we can rest upon Christ and remember just how amazing your grace is. How amazing it is that we, who are sinners, could be forgiven, could be saved, could now, as we put our faith in Christ, could call you our Father our Father in heaven, and we could call Christ our Lord, our Savior. And Lord, we pray today as we delve into your word that you would just encourage us, you would convict us, and you would just show us more of yourself, and that we would respond with with worship as we just rest upon you and as we just honor you and praise you, as we trust in you, and as we continue to follow you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we're, we're in Matthew 13, and there's two, two parables that we just read. And these two parables are part of more parables. If you look at Matthew 13, it's filled with parables. And these parables are talking about the kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And Jesus loved to talk in parables. You can see it all over the New Testament. And parables are just basically stories, right? He's giving stories to, to teach us something, to show us the truth, to really to really hit home the message that he has. And he would use powerful parables. And I think we know some of the famous ones, like we think of the prodigal son story or what we often call the lost sons, where we have the younger brother, the older brother. And and obviously, they're both lost. And obviously, as we look at that parable, we just understand how amazing the gospel is. We think of the Good Samaritan story, right? That's another parable Jesus uses to teach us, who is your neighbor? What does it mean to love your neighbor? Uh, just in this own passage right here, uh, in this own chapter, Matthew 13, it starts with the parable of the sower, another very well-known parable. And so God uses these parables to teach his people, his disciples. And, and in this parable, these two parables, he's, he's showing us how important, how amazing, how precious the kingdom of heaven is. He's showing us that having Christ in our life. I mean, that, that is the true treasure. The kingdom of God is the true treasure. And he talks about the kingdom, and he wants us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is and how we, knowing that, should respond. Now, we hear the word kingdom, and I don't know about you, when I, when I hear the word kingdom, a lot of times I think of, you know, King Arthur, right? Uh, I think of just, just kingdoms as, as, a, as a place. But really, when you hear the word kingdom here, it's talking about God's rule, his kingliness, and more specifically, what does it look like when God is ruling the heart? What does it look like when God is ruling my heart? And in these two passages, you have first a person who's in a field, and he finds a treasure. Right, it says the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. So most scholars will say that, you know, this guy is probably somebody who's not very rich, probably somebody who works on a field, probably somebody who's fairly poor, who's working in a field, digging things up, and he just finds a treasure. He's not looking for it. He's not expecting anything. He doesn't even know that there's going to be anything there. And when he finds it, obviously he's ecstatic in his joy. He goes and he sells everything he has 
because he wants the treasure in the field. He buys the field. But then the second parable is a little different, very similar, but this time you have a merchant in search of fine pearls. And scholars will say most likely the merchant is somebody who's not poor, who's rich, because you don't buy and sell fine pearls unless you have money, especially back in these days, in Jesus' day, you know, pearls, these were very expensive things. And so probably a wealthy person who, unlike the first person, who's actually looking, right? He's looking for something. He's looking for fine pearls. But one day, he finds the one, right? He finds the pearl that's so amazing, so much better than anything he's ever looked for, so much better than anything he could have hoped for. So just like the first person, what does this person do? He sells everything he had, and he bought it. Right? And in both stories, you see similarities, like finding something that was so amazing and selling everything for it. But you also find differences. Right? First person not looking for anything. Second person is clearly looking for something. First person is probably poor. Second person is probably rich. But either way, what you see is somebody who finds something so precious, so amazing, they're willing to sell everything, to get rid of everything for the sake of that one thing. And I think what you see here is it's just a picture of tasting grace. It's a picture of finding Christ. It's a picture of knowing what the kingdom is that is so amazing. I remember as a child, I visited Korea with my parents. I think I was like in fifth grade. And my mother said, let's buy some grapes. And, you know, grapes are grapes, right? I'm like, okay. But she said, this is a special grape. So I said, okay. And it was. I was used to green grapes and red grapes. This one was purple. And she said, this one, you can't eat it. You gotta, it's, it's got a skin on it, right? And you got to just suck the thing inside of it and just not eat the skin. So I thought it was interesting. So I just took one. And I had never had one of these before. And so I ate it and I teared up because it was so good. And I was like, mom, well, what is this? She said, it's a grape. I'm like, it's not a grape, it's different. And it was just a Concord grape, right? But I never had one before, and I've had them here. It's not the same. The ones in Korea, for whatever reason, they just taste so much better to me. And I remember I liked it so much, I think every day I asked my mom to buy me more, buy me more, right? Why? Because it was just so good. It was amazing. And I'm just saying that to (laughs) to remind us, it's kind of what Jesus is saying. Like, I mean, obviously a grape is nothing like the kingdom of heaven. It's not as good, but the point is, it's something you're like, wow. I remember in college doing laundry. I, I hated doing laundry. I still hate doing laundry. But now, you know, we have a family of three, so, you know, like we do laundry a lot more often. But I remember in college, I would save my laundry for like a month. I was the guy that would go to Walmart and buy extra boxers because I didn't want to do laundry. And when you do laundry, you know, it's like you have so much that you don't want to do it. But I remember one time I was just doing laundry, and I found $40 in my pocket. I mean, it's my money, right, because I must have put it there. But I didn't know it was there. And so I remember, you know, as a college student, $40 is like, it's a lot. <laughs> and I remember being so happy. And I wanted to tell somebody, but there's nobody around me, so I just cheered myself on, right? But, but you're just so happy because you're finding something you didn't expect, and it's so like, whoa. And when you think about your relationship with God, if it doesn't feel like that, maybe we haven't even tasted grace. He's saying that's how good it is when you know Christ, when you taste grace, when you find the kingdom of heaven. He's saying it is so amazing, it just blows you away. And this, you know, if you look at the first story, we have this person 
who finds treasure hidden in the field. Now, I know for a lot of us, we'll probably think, that's ridiculous. That's like a movie. Right, where pirates, you know, they, you know, they, you know, you get a map, there's an X, right, and you walk certain amount of steps, and it's like it's a story, right? Like, if I go to, you know, if you, I mean, I don't have a backyard, but if you had a backyard, right, if you went to the backyard and you were digging, like you would never find a treasure. That's ridiculous. Who, how would that happen? But in Jesus's day, this was common. They didn't have banks formally like we do now, and so like you didn't have a place where you could keep things safe. But also, it's an area where people will get robbed. There will be obviously wars, and you know there will be like people that will come and steal things from you. They might want to hurt you. So whenever there's a, maybe an army that's coming, that's scary, or like people that want to rob you, what do you do? You you hide it in the ground, and obviously you don't tell anybody because what is the point of hiding something and telling everybody about it? So you tell nobody. But sometimes you die, and so if you hide something in the ground. And only you know about it, and then you pass away, then it's lost. So it's very possible, especially in Jesus' day, for people hearing the story, they would be like, yeah, that, that makes sense, right? That could happen. And so the guy, he's, you know, he's, now we don't know why. I mean, it's a story, obviously, right? So some people ask me stories, like, questions like, well, why was he there? And I was like, Jesus didn't say. It's his story. So, like, we can't assume anything. But, most likely, he's probably a hired worker. He's back there digging for something, and he finds treasure. Now, clearly, he could have taken it, but that also would probably feel wrong, right? You're stealing. So what does he do? He, he puts it back. He probably covers it back up, and then what does he do? He buys the land that the treasure's in. Now, I don't know about you. That sounds shady to me. Right, I mean, I mean, I mean, I'm just right. Like, if I went to your house and I found something in your basement that was really valuable, and if I don't tell you about it, and I buy it, let me buy the house from you. I'll pay you double what it's worth. First of all, you're probably thinking, why? (laughs) But it just seems wrong, right? It seems like an unethical thing to do. It's like you're cheating someone, and that's kind of what grace is like. It's so good that it almost feel like it's not fair. But it's so good, the kingdom of heaven, it's so good having Christ in my life, it's so good to taste grace, that it almost seems like, whoa, like, is that even fair that I could have something so amazing in my life? It almost feels like I'm cheating someone. Because what did I do? What did I do to gain the kingdom of heaven? What did I do to have Christ in my life? What did I do to know grace? I did nothing. And Jesus is saying, yes, the kingdom of God is so free, so good, it feels like I'm cheating someone. Think about it. It is by grace we have been saved, right? Not by works, so that we can't boast. I did nothing to earn God's love. I did nothing to earn His forgiveness. I did nothing to earn my salvation. We know. Right? God the Father. He sent His Son. Right? God shows us His love for us. And while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ went to the cross. He died the death that we deserved. We did nothing. It is all by grace. And so the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is different from anything that we know or have experienced. You know, when you look at the world, it's all about success. It's all about your resume. Right, it's all about what have you done. How do you prove yourself? Right, you know, you've all written resumes for something in your life. And when you write a resume, what do you do? You don't want to lie, 
but you want to look as good as possible, right? So your titles look a lot fancier than it needs to be, right? And when you put your job description or the things that you did, you know, it looks, again, as, as, and obviously I'm sure the recruiter or whoever's looking at it knows what you're doing, but we try to look good. Why? Because this world says you got to look good. You gotta have, you know, you gotta look a certain way. You gotta have a good job, right? You wanna go to a good school, right? You wanna have the right family. You wanna have the right connections. You wanna, you know, be good at this and that and that. So I've seen resumes. Sometimes I've had like college students and, you know, they'll show me like a resume and they'll go, oh, what do you think? And first thing I think is, why are you showing it to me? I only know what a pastoral resume should look like. I can't help you. But second thing I think is, Man, you have so many skills. Can you really do all of this, right? Because we want to look good. Because that's what the world says. You got to look good. You got to prove yourself. I mean, honestly, even at church sometimes, we feel like we got to look a certain way, right? I got to do certain things. I got to prove myself. And Jesus says, no. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is nothing like that. It's not about what I've done. It's about what Christ has done for me. So have we tasted? Right? Have we experienced this kingdom? Have we tasted this grace? And when we do, what happens? We respond. You look at both stories here. The first story says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. The second story, the merchant who finds the pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. That's actually really important. Both stories, it's not partial. Let me sell half of what I have for it. Let me give part of what I have for it. It's all and all, everything. The first guy's probably poor, so he probably doesn't have a whole lot, but whatever he does have, let me sell it. The second person's probably a lot richer. Again, it doesn't matter. It's not about the amount. It's about how much I have and how much I give. And I give everything for it because Christianity it's about desiring it's about cherishing it's about treasuring Christ you know when when we were growing up I'm sure many of you here as well you know a lot of people used to have like mom jokes right and then it gets a little too far sometimes and then somebody says something a little too much about somebody's mom and they get mad and they're ready to fight and I'm thinking, you're not even nice to your mom, right? However, so the fact that somebody else would insult your mom makes you so angry, right? Why could you treasure your mother? And you should. You know, now that I'm a father and I look at my daughter, I honestly, sometimes I look at, I joke, I go, our, our lives revolve around you. You're like two and you control everything. I look at my living room. When did this happen? <laughs> right? Everything, right? And, and every decision my wife and I make, we have to think about our daughter. And now, obviously, our son who's coming, and, and we're like, but what happens when you have your child? And I think like, we have a lot of parents in this room. We know. You look at your child, and you think, there's nothing that I wouldn't do for you. And if anyone was to try to harm you, there was nothing I would not do to protect you. Why? Because your child is precious. And you know that. I have one, and I feel like that. So sometimes I wonder how Pastor John feels with five. Like, do you evenly distribute that love or like, you know, right? But, but they're so precious to you. There's nothing you would not do, nothing you would not do to protect, to help, to support. Why? Because you treasure them. You love them. They are so precious. And we all treasure something. 
right? Even if you don't have children, we might treasure, you know, growing up as a child, we might have treasured things like dancing or basketball or video games, right? And as you get older, maybe we treasure our jobs, right? A career, obviously our family, certain status. We might have treasured different things. And when we love something, what do we have? We have a passion for those things. Being a disciple of Christ, being a Christian, means I have a passion for what I believe in, for the Lord, because I know that He is good. I mean, the guy in the story gives up everything. Why? Because he wants something better. Right? Like he, it's, it's so good to him that it's worth it to give up everything. A Christian gives up everything for God because God is good. God is better than everything. The problem with us, let's be honest, is we don't put God first so often. We don't treasure the Lord. We don't think about the kingdom of heaven and say, Lord, I want to give up everything for you. Why? Because maybe He is not truly my treasure. Which then begs the question, what is my treasure? Right? When we look at our lives, and if you think about where all your money goes, where all your time goes, right? Or, you know what, sometimes people talk about where your thoughts go, right? You know, sometimes when you just kind of zone out, right? It always cracks me up, you know, because... People would always ask me, sometimes I'm just kind of zoned out, they're like, oh, you look so deep in thought, what are you thinking about? Nothing. <laughs> but they don't believe you. No, you look thoughtful. No, I'm literally just, I don't know what just happened for like 10 seconds there, right? Like, I just zoned out. <laughs> and I think sometimes people don't understand that, but it, it happens. But then when you zone out sometimes, then you start daydreaming, where do your thoughts go? Right? When you have nothing else to think about. What do you get really stressed about? Where do I put all my effort and time into? Right? Where does all my money go towards? That's the thing I'm treasuring, right? And the question is, what do I treasure? You know, one of the ways we show worth is by saying no to everything else. You know, I, um, Pastor John knows this very well. I, I got married later in life. I was married at 38 and there was actually a few years before that, Pastor John, he visited me, and he looked at me, and he said something like this. He said, James, there's nothing wrong with you. Why are you not married? <laughs> and it was a compliment, but it's just like a weird compliment, right? Like, I don't know how to take that, right? And he said it out of love. But I remember thinking, I don't want to get married unless I find someone who I feel like is the right person for me. And when I got married, you know, I took this really seriously. I waited 38 years, right, to take these vows, and I remember thinking, I'm saying yes to my wife, which means I am saying no to every other woman in the world. They might not want me, but that doesn't matter. The fact is, I am saying no, right? I mean, to every other woman in the world because I am saying yes to her because she is worth it, right? Hopefully she feels good about that and she tells me that later, right? But, but, but I remember thinking that, right? Because you're saying no to everything else. Because why? Because this is the one, right? You're saying no to show your worth for something else. And it's the essence of worship. What do I have to say no to to say yes to God? I'm saying, Lord, no, these things will not be my treasure. These things will not be my ultimate priority. These things will not take all of my heart because, Lord, you are my everything. 
I knew a pastor once, he gave the example of love. He said, you can love things in the world. He said, but they, they need to be JV love, junior varsity love. And he said, only Christ should be varsity. That doesn't hit home for me because, you know, as much. I'm not very athletic, so whenever I try to for sports, I never made it, right? So, you know, JV, varsity, I wish I made something, right? But, you know, when you're in the JV team, it's not the real team, right? If you're in JV, like, basketball, it's like, you know, it's like the wannabe team, right? It's like that team that's – and the varsity, that, that's the real. And, you know, and I, I, I took that, you know, I took that point home and said, that's right. There are things in the world, yeah, you love your family. You know, you can love certain things in your life, of course. However – Christ should be varsity. But right? he is the one that you love first and foremost. You know, the disciples, they meet Jesus. And, you know, obviously in one of the stories, they catch a lot of fish. And then what do they do? They drop everything and they follow Jesus. I think a lot of times what we want to do is we meet Jesus. He going to catch a lot of fish. So Jesus says, hang around and give me more fish. But really, we're, we're supposed to say, no, it's not, it's not about the fish, Lord. I want to follow you. When I taste grace, when I know the kingdom of heaven, when I have Christ in my life, I am willing to follow Him at the cost of everything. And the only reason to follow Christ is not because, you know, like He's useful, but because He is true. He is the true treasure, and it has to cost me everything. And has He cost me everything? Has my life been completely reoriented so that it's not about Jesus, you're good, but I got all these other things. But no, you're first, and everything else follows after. And I want to live my life for you and for you alone. You see two parables here. Both of these people, they're going to sell everything. Why? Because of the one thing. But here's the question I have. How do I do that? Right, because I mean, you know, like my whole life, you read parables like this, you hear sermons, and, and you go, yeah, you know, especially you know, you're in youth group, you go to a retreat. This is retreat season, right? I remember always end of December, right, like early January, it's like a college retreat, youth group retreat, and you go to a retreat, and you're like fired up for Jesus, right? Like, yeah, I love, I love him, and I'm going to follow him. And then what happens a week or two after you come back, it's like, where'd that fire go, right? Like, and then you're waiting for that next retreat, right? Like, and how do I get to the point of selling everything? How do I get to the point where I say, Lord, it's not about all these other things. No, they're they not going to be my treasure. It's all about you. I want to live for you and for you alone. And we see it in this first parable. I think three words that I think are so important. It says, the kingdom of heaven is a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and covered up. And then it says three words, then. Well, that's not the three words. The three words after that, right? Then, in his joy. Thank you for that. I was like, this is a lot easier than looking at my Bible, right? Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. It doesn't say with reluctance, with hesitation. Like a lot of times as Christians, we do that, right? We're like, oh, I don't really want to worship God, but I should. Oh, I don't really want to serve or I don't want to give. I don't, oh, but I should. I feel guilty. I... No, he says, in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has, and he buys that field. He sells everything. He gives up everything that others cling on to. And what is the power? It's his joy. It's not discipline. It's not force. It's not some kind of a guilt trip. It's joy. He found treasure that was so good, and it made everything else look like rubbish, like garbage, right? 
It's treasure. The treasure of our heart. It can't be something that's bought. It's something that is found. You know, when we have worldly treasures, we can accomplish the things that we want and still feel empty. You know, like, I talk to a lot of people, they're like, oh, my whole life, it's all about finding the right job. And they just work so hard. But then they get the job they wanted, and sometimes, after a while, they just feel empty. Well, I've talked to a lot of people over the years, like, i got to marry the right person. And it's all about that. Then they get married, and they're like, it's not like Hollywood. <laughs> it's, it's hard. I still feel empty. I remember hearing a quote, I think it was from Tim Keller, and I don't know if it's his quote or he quoted somebody else, but... It was, I mean, I'm going to butcher it, but even something like this. He said, when you're young, he said, you cry for the moon because you want everything. And he said, when you get old, you just cry. And I said, that's so depressing. <laughs> right? But I mean, but I get what he's saying, right? You cry for the moon because you want everything. And you want, you're working so hard. And he said, you get to a certain point, and it's just like, that's it? And you cry. And we can try to have these treasures in the world, and we try to accomplish it, and then feel empty. You have to find treasure. And the only way to overcome, for example, the treasure, the desire for human approval is to find the treasure of God's approval in us. I remember, you know, in retrospect, looking back at my life, I always wanted approval. Approval from my parents, approval from my friends. I just wanted approval. But I didn't know that because... I wasn't smart enough to know that. And it would control the things that I did, right? How do I make my parents happy? How do I make my friends happy? How do I make this person happy? And then I went into ministry. You know, I felt called by God, and I went to seminary, and I became a youth pastor, right? And I was young. I was 22 years old. And my students were between the ages of, I think, 15 and 17. That's not a very big age gap. I don't know if you just thought about that for a second, right? And so I remember thinking, I'm 22. What do I know? I'm in the first year of seminary. I'm like a month in. I didn't even know how to preach. So I was still reading and like, what, what do I do? But luckily, these students thought I was cool because I was only 22. And that felt good for some reason, right? And then I realized something. I couldn't rebuke them because they thought I was cool. They liked me. And so I liked the fact that they liked me. But then, you know, as a youth pastor, sometimes, you know, teenagers, they, they do things and you got to, you got to, let them know what's up, and I couldn't. So they said, you are the most patient Chanusanim we've ever met. You're so awesome. Inside I was thinking, I'm scared. <laughs> I'm scared that if I say what I need to say, you're not going to like me. And then one day God just rebuked me. I just was praying, and I was like, I felt like God was saying something like, what are you doing? They don't need a friend. Well, some of them need friends, but that's not, that's not your job. They don't need friends. They don't, they don't need you to be a friend. They need, they need a pastor. They need someone to shepherd them, to love them, rebuke them if need be. And I had to really repent. And I remember just God doing a work in my life at that time in my life where I had to say, Lord, I have a fear of student issue. And I have to recognize it doesn't matter. Of course, you want people to like your course. But even if they don't, because I have your approval, because I am a sinner saved by grace. I am a child of God. I am loved by you. Everybody else's opinion ultimately don't matter. And you know, that was the most freeing thing. And you would think at that age, being in seminary, I would have figured all that out. I hadn't. And once that happened, it was great. I could rebuke without any worries, right? And here's the thing. When I started shepherding and rebuking 
and loving them as I should instead of being scared of them, they love me more. Why? Because I was being faithful to what God wanted me to do. But that only it was because I realized I wanted God's approval and I had God's approval. We find joy in Christ ultimately. I mean, let me put it really simply, youth group language, right? Because Jesus is better. Because right, the Lord is better. The kingdom of heaven is better. You know, I said it earlier, Romans 5a, but God shows us his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, think about that for a second. Think about what Christianity is talking about. I am a sinner, totally depraved. The Bible says I was dead. Ephesians 2 says I was dead in my sins, my trespass. I had no hope. But because of His rich mercy, because of His grace, I am saved. God the Father sent His one and only Son into the world. As a father myself, it boggles my mind when I read that. That God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. I mean, that's incredible. Christ came into this world. God became man and he went to the cross. He humbled himself and was obedient to the point of death upon a cross. He went to the cross. You know, when you read the New Testament, Jesus, every time he prays, he says, Father, to his heavenly Father. It's Father. But when you look at the cross, he doesn't say Father. He says, My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? As he quotes Psalm 22. And at the cross, Christ, he's being forsaken. But he is covered with our sinfulness. He who knew no sin. He is taking our place upon the cross, taking the penalty of our sins. He's dying the death that we deserve, going through, the, going through hell itself. He suffered, he dies because of his love for his people. It's an amazing thing. And when we have Christ in our lives, when we know that gospel, that love, that Savior, when we know that grace, it is so much better than anything this world has to offer. Amen? That's so weak. Amen? Amen. And that's where the joy comes from. As I know that gospel, as I know that Savior, as I know that grace, I'm filled with joy. The man in verse 44 gives up everything he has for the treasure. We want to be with God. We want to do everything for Him out of joy. You know, it's kind of like this. Um, I mean, it's not kind of like this, but let me use this. I love Taco Bell. I don't know why. My wife hates it. And so we never eat it. Because she's the boss, right? <laughs> But one time I convinced her to get Taco Bell. I don't know how it happened, and so we we went Taco Bell, and like I know it's not, it's not even that good. It's not real Mexican food, but like I was so happy, and I was eating, it and I was thinking, man, why doesn't my wife get it? <laughs> this is so good, you know. I put the Diablo sauce on there, right, and, and that's too hot for her too. But it's okay, right? I, and I'm enjoying it, and I and I like it, and you know, if Pastor John wants to say, hey, can I, if I have one taco, he's gonna have, it, I'd probably say no, right, because. You know, I really like it. But if you said to me, you know what? If you give me that one soft taco, whatever, 
I'll take you to a nice steakhouse like Peter Lugas and buy you a really expensive steak. I'm like, all right, here you go, right? Because like Taco Bell, yeah, it's, it's good. A nice juicy steak, it's like, it, it doesn't compare. So what do I say? Oh, yeah, of course. You can have, I'll give you three tacos, right? Because I want that nice juicy steak. Our Lord is so much better than anything this world has to offer. So when I say, Lord, I want to follow you. When I say, Lord, I want to give up everything to follow you. I want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness and make you number one in my life. When I say that, it's not a huge sacrifice. It's not like, oh my gosh, I can't believe everything I'm giving up for Jesus. It's, it's, it's a rational choice. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 8, let me read it for us real quick. Famous passage. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He counts them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And so, my hope, my encouragement, my prayer for us this morning is this. First Sunday of the year, it's time for New Year resolutions. Reading the Bible, that is a great resolution. right? I, I actually hope many of you do it. I hope when Pastor John asked you last week of December, how many of you are on track? I hope a lot of hands go up, right? But let's make our resolution say, Lord, this year, not just about reading the Bible, that's great. I want you to be my treasure. And I want to reorient everything in my life around you. Because there is no one better than you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. For you are so good. We thank you that we have a Savior. Who would die for sinners like us. We thank you. That we can be redeemed sinners, forgiven, saved, who have eternal life, who are, who are loved by you. And Lord, as we know how amazing grace is, we pray that we would always remember that you are better than anything else in this world. And you would truly be our treasure. We thank you. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.